This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 38 of AFF On Air. It is Saturday the 13th of June 2020 and I'm your host Matt Graham. In today's episode, Queensland and South Australia announce when they'll reopen their borders. My colleague James Green explains how Qantas Points Club members can maximise their status credits using classic flight rewards. And at the end of this episode, James interviews me. That's all coming up, but first here's what's making news in the world of airlines and frequent flyer points this fortnight. And Qantas and Jetstar will triple the amount of domestic and regional flights being operated around Australia by the end of June, taking the airline's domestic schedules from 5% to 15% of pre-coronavirus capacity. As well as increasing frequencies on most existing routes that are still being operated, Qantas and Jetstar will resume uh, flights on nine domestic routes as well. Qantas says that it may even introduce more flights in July, depending on the easing of interstate travel restrictions and demand. The airline says that it could restore up to 40% of normal capacity if needed by the end of July. From next month, there will be more frequencies on capital city routes and more flights within New South Wales and Queensland with intrastate travel restrictions already relaxed. And this will include the delayed launch of Qantas Link's Sydney to Ballina route from the 1st of July. Meanwhile, Alliance Airlines is launching flights from Brisbane to the Whitsunday coast from the 22nd of June, just days before Jetstar resumes flights on the same route. And Alliance, it was in the news just recently, is also looking to add more planes to its fleet and increase charter flying. But one New South Wales town will lose its only air service from next month. Regional Express announced that it will pull out of Grafton after one of the local councillors there insulted the airline and then doubled down on the comments, refusing to apologise and saying that the airline misunderstood her because they have foreign owners. Virgin Australia too will add more domestic flights back to its schedule from next month, doubling its current capacity from early July. There will be more interstate flights within Queensland and Western Australia, just in time for the winter school holidays. And there'll also be more flights between Perth and the east coast of Australia. Virgin will also reinstate services on the Brisbane to Canberra and Brisbane to Adelaide routes, um, just in time for the uh, Queensland and South Australia's borders reopening. As part of new COVID-19 health measures which launched yesterday, Virgin is also now requiring passengers to complete a pre-flight health questionnaire and Virgin has changed its boarding and disembarkation process to allow for social distancing. But like Qantas and Jetstar, Virgin is no longer guaranteeing a blocked middle seat on flights. It does say that it will try to keep space between passengers where possible that aren't part of the same family group. As the voluntary administration continues, there are now just two potential buyers left in the running to become the new owners of Virgin Australia. Cirrus Capital Partners would retain Virgin as a full-service airline with business class cabins and lounges if successful. The other contender, Bain Capital, would operate Virgin as a hybrid airline with a business model that more closely resembles the airline's Virgin Blue Days. Final bids for Virgin Australia are now due on the 22nd of June after administrators extended the deadline. 
Australia has done fairly well so far to flatten the coronavirus curve, but New Zealand has now successfully eradicated the virus. There are no longer any known active cases of COVID-19 in New Zealand, which has enabled the New Zealand government to relax coronavirus restrictions back to alert level one. Since last Monday, social gatherings are once again permitted in New Zealand and social distancing guidelines are no longer being required. This has allowed Air New Zealand to end social distancing on its flights, one of the first major airlines in the world to do so. Most Air New Zealand domestic lounges have now also reopened, with the exceptions of the Auckland Coru Lounge, which is now being refurbished, and the regional Wellington and Christchurch lounges. Air New Zealand has also started ramping up its domestic flights and since the start of this week is now serving all of its domestic destinations once again. Jetstar will also resume limited flights in New Zealand very soon. Singapore, Hong Kong and the United Arab Emirates have now all reopened their international airports to transit passengers after banning transits in late March. This has allowed Singapore Airlines, Cathay Pacific, Emirates and Etihad Airways to all increase flights to Australia since they're once again allowed now to sell international connecting itineraries. Australia's borders remain effectively closed, but this will give some more options to essential travellers and citizens trying to return home, especially now that Qantas and Virgin Australia repatriation flights from Los Angeles, Hong Kong and London back to Australia have all now ended. The popular American Express shop small promotion is back for 2020, running until the end of August this year. Amex card holders can earn $5 cash back to their cards for spending at least $10 at up to 10 participating small businesses. Etihad Airways has begun selling vouchers with 50% extra value added. For example, if you were to buy a voucher now for $1,000, you'd be able to redeem it for $1,500 worth of Etihad flights from the 1st of August this year. The vouchers can be redeemed for flights anywhere on the Etihad network and would be valid for two years. Sounds like a pretty good deal, and it's a smart ploy by Etihad to raise some immediate extra revenue, which they need. But there are some risks, including the possibility that the airline could collapse, and also the fixed two-year expiry date. Ola has apologised after customers affected by a widespread technical error with the ride-sharing app have been harassed by debt collectors. A glitch with the Ola app between December 2019 and March 2020 resulted in some credit card payments failing to go through. Many of the app users affected were unaware of this problem until they discovered that their Ola accounts had been suspended or they were contacted by a debt collection agency over supposed non-payments. Many of the affected customers subsequently tried to contact Ola's support team after discovering the problem but never received a response. More than a week after it was contacted by Australian Frequent Flyer, an OLA co- uh, spokesperson said that they have now launched an investigation into the problem and they would look at reversing any wrong card charges on a case-by-case basis if customers got in touch with them again. But for many OLA customers that have now vowed to stop using the ride-sharing app, it's too little too late. A competitor to Uber, OLA has been a Velocity Frequent Flyer partner since launching in Australia last year. Last fortnight, we reported that Emirates has reduced its carrier charges on award flights, which is good news. It seemed too good to be true, though, and we now know that it is. To compensate for the reduction in carrier charges, Qantas will increase the number of points required to book classic flight rewards on Emirates from the 1st of September by moving Emirates flights to its more expensive partner award chart. 
This also means that you'll soon pay much more when combining Emirates and Qantas award flights on the same ticket, for example if you've got an Australian domestic connection. You can still book Emirates awards at the current rate though until the 31st of August, although at the moment Emirates award availability is currently quite limited for some reason. After months of little to no offers during the worst of that bizarre COVID-19 panic buying period, Woolworths Rewards is now sending far more and more generous targeted offers. Many Woolworths Rewards members are now receiving regular offers for large amounts of bonus points for shopping at Woolworths. Woolies has also been sending out bonus point offers for people that download the new Woolworths Rewards app, buy gift cards, or sign up for Woolworths online delivery. With so many offers out there at the moment, you should have no trouble converting at least 10,000 Woolworths Rewards points to Qantas points by the end of June in order to earn the full 50 Qantas status credits from the current promo. It seems Woolworths Rewards has finally woken up to the importance of a rewarding loyalty program in its fight against Coles. Coles did once have a clear edge with its flybys program, but Woolworths is starting to pick up its game. As flights slowly return in the wake of the COVID-19 lockdowns, the ACCC has said it will be watching Qantas and Jetstar's airfares extraordinarily closely. It not only wants to ensure Qantas doesn't overcharge on monopoly routes, but also to ensure that it doesn't engage in predatory pricing against a weakened Virgin Australia by putting out ultra-cheap fares that are designed to force Virgin out of the market. But some foreign governments have taken steps uh, even further. Last month, the Indian government mandated both minimum and maximum airfares on all routes in a move designed to protect the crippled airline industry, and in particular, some would say the government-owned Air India, from low-cost carriers flooding the market with below-cost airfares at a time when airlines are currently bleeding cash. As an example, flights between Delhi and Mumbai must currently cost between $66 and $189, and at least 40% of seats must be sold for $127 or less. This is a temporary measure in India, which will expire in three months. But the Austrian government this week has brought in a permanent law, which states airlines cannot sell tickets for less than the cost of the taxes and airport fees and charges. On a round-trip ticket, the taxes in Austria would generally add up to around $60 Australian dollars. You may wonder why any airline would sell a ticket for less than they have to pay in taxes and airport charges. After all, airlines would lose money on that. But actually, this practice is quite common among low-cost airlines in Europe, especially on flights from Vienna where multiple ultra-low-cost carriers have bases and competition can be intense. Earlier this year, for example, I flew with Wizz Air to Vienna for just $16, which was well below what the airline would have had to pay in, even just in taxes. Low-cost carriers in Europe regularly sell tickets below cost in order to maximise their load factors. They want to make sure that their flights depart full, no matter how cheaply they have to sell seats, because their business model is based on maximising the amount of ancillary revenue uh, they can extract from passengers that pay extra for things like luggage or to choose a seat or for a meal on board. The problem with this strategy uh, from a market point of view is that it puts full-service airlines like Austrian Airlines at a competitive disadvantage and right at a time when they're financially weak. The Austrian government has just given millions of euros to Austrian airlines as part of a bailout package, so this move is partially designed to protect their investment. 
There are, of course, also environmental consequences of selling ultra-cheap flights, something that many European governments are now taking very seriously. This week, for example, the Austrian government announced a 30 euro tax on flights under 350 kilometers in length, while simultaneously announcing a huge investment in high-speed rail, night trains, and, uh, and related inter- infrastructure, and also reducing the cost to customers of intercity train travel substantially. It follows similar moves by the French government recently, which tried to force airlines to reduce domestic flights where high-speed train connections were an alternative. The on-again, off-again closure of Berlin's Tegel Airport is back off again. They just cannot make up their minds. Tegel Airport was due to close this month due to a lack of flights, as I discussed with my guest in the last episode. But the airport authority has decided now to keep it open after all, at least until the new Berlin-Brandenburg Airport is fully operational. Finally, in some sad news, Qantas plans to send all of its remaining Boeing 747s to the Californian desert by the end of this month. It's not yet clear whether this is for long-term storage or scrapping, but it does seem that the planes are unlikely to ever return to service for the flying kangaroo. Prior to COVID-19, the Qantas 747 fleet was only still being used on a very small handful of international routes anyway, and most of these routes will now switch to 787s. And should travel to Japan return this year, Qantas has now scheduled Airbus A330-200s on its Sydney to Tokyo flights for the next little while. But if you would like to own a small part of a Qantas 747, now's your chance. Plaintags.com is selling bag tags made of genuine aircraft skins from the Qantas 747-VHOJN for November, which was uh, retired in around 2011. Prices start at around US $30 per tag. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. You'll find all the details at australianfrequentflyer.com.au. Joining me in this episode of the podcast is James Green, who is my colleague at Award Flight Assistant, also is on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. You might have come across him as Jacques James was previously on the podcast in episodes 15 and 16. Welcome back, James. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be back. And thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. And so I guess I wanted to talk about firstly, um, what's going on with domestic and international travel. So I know at Award Flight Assist, we have been getting a few requests lately from people thinking about um, booking trips overseas for next year. Do you think now's a good time to be to start booking trips for next year? Or is it just too soon? Well, the short answer is no. Um, Personally, I wouldn't be booking anything. Um, I just think it's too early. For a start, we don't know which airlines are going to survive the current crisis. And even those that do survive, we don't know what routes they'll be flying. Even though many of the airlines have routes scheduled, whether they'll actually go ahead or not will remain to be seen, of course. So personally, I wouldn't be booking anything just yet. A couple of months' time, maybe. The other uh, question we we don't know the answer to is when will the Australian government uh, remove the do not travel uh, recommendation on smart travel and so on. So without some sort of special exemption, you're not allowed to even leave the country at the present time. So when that's going to be lifted, we don't know. Obviously, we, we all hope that's going to be soon, but there's no way of knowing. And the other thing to keep in mind is that until that happens getting travel insurance that will actually cover you is going to be either impossible or perhaps quite expensive. So 
personally, I'm going to be waiting for a few more months, I think. Yeah, certainly for international travel. I know we normally um, advise people when you're you know, looking to redeem your points for international travel that it's best to book 11 to 12 months in advance. But that rule kind of goes out the window now. And I mean, the reason that we usually say this is because that award availability is so scarce. And often if you don't book 11 to 12 months out, you might not be able to get business class award availability. But that doesn't seem to be the case now, does it? No, I think it's... Um, the availability on those flights that are scheduled seems to be reasonably good um, compared to the normal situation Uh, and that will probably stay that way for a while Um, again we don't know don't know how long it will stay as um, as good as it is but I don't think there's any rush at this point to be booking Um, the other thing is that if if you are wanting to go overseas and thinking of booking hotels and tours and the like, uh, you need to have something that's flexible that can be cancelled if your flights don't go ahead or you're not allowed to leave the country. And um, the other thing, of course, is if a flight is cancelled, you end up in that um, situation of can you get a refund or can you only get a travel voucher, go through the arguments with the airline, maybe wait months for the credit to come back. Um, I just think it's going to be all... All too unclear and, dare I say it, everything's up in the air at the moment. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah, I know a lot of airlines at the moment are offering, you know, to waive change fees or they're offering a bit more flexibility. In fact, some airlines are going one step further. Qatar is allowing you to even change your destination, Emirates as well, um, if, if you need to to change your trip over the coming months. But even then, um, if you do end up having to make a change or the airline cancels your flight. You do end up, you just end up in that merry-go-round of trying to chase a refund, which I know a lot of people have been struggling with over the past few months. And um, yeah, at this, at this point, we just don't know. And I do think that once once the borders reopen, airlines are going to be so desperate to fill seats that there's going to be some such amazing deals. So I don't think they should be in any rush to book right now either. Um, that said, um, for interstate travel within Australia, things are starting to open up again. Uh, so New South Wales and Victoria and the ACT are already open. We now see that South Australia has announced it will open its borders on the 20th of July and Queensland has set a date for reopening their external borders on the 10th of July, although that is subject to medical advice. Um, that leaves some interesting opportunities to travel around Australia. Now, James, uh, I believe you had some travel booked already around Australia which had to be cancelled these past few months. Are you going to look at at rebooking those trips? Yes, that's right, Matt. Um, And interesting you mentioned about the refund and travel credit issues because I'm still waiting for one refund to come back. My wife got a refund for her ticket on the same flight, but I'm still waiting for mine because we were on separate P&Rs. But um, the flights we had... Um, booked. We were supposed to go to Alice Springs and Uluru in April, beginning of April. Uh, the plan was to fly to Adelaide, pick up a, a relocation motorhome, which we were getting for $5 a night, drive it from Adelaide to Alice Springs via Uluru, and then fly back from, from Uluru to Coffs Harbour, where we live. Um, it was only a couple of weeks before we were supposed to fly out that the South Australian gov- government closed the border to South Australia and the Northern Territory border, um, sorry, the Northern Territory government 
it closed the border into the Northern Territory. So obviously we couldn't go. And that's one of the flights I'm still waiting for my refund on. The other flight uh, that we had booked, which we booked with double status credits back in February, was to fly up to uh, Longreach and Winton, visit the Qantas Founders Museum and the other museums up there like the Stockman's Hall of Fame, and then come back on the train overnight to Brisbane. And uh, that train's not running yet, uh, so we had to cancel that trip as well. So once everything's open, we'll be looking at ticking off some of the places in Australia that are on the bucket list, but we haven't got to as yet. Yeah, and there's a, I've got a few as well. Um, with, in Longreach, I believe the Qantas Founders Museum there is currently closed, but it is reopening on the 1st of July, which is good news. And I have been to that museum. It's really, it's excellent. They've got an old Qantas 747. They've got a um, whole bunch of old planes. They've got Qantas memorabilia history about the airline. I found it really fascinating and, and well worth a visit if you are looking at making a trip somewhere up in Queensland. Um a few places I'm particularly looking forward to going to in Australia would be firstly the Barossa Valley in South Australia once once that reopens. There's uh, some really good wineries there. Um, also Port Stephens in New South Wales is just a couple of hours north of Sydney. I find it's just a really pleasant place to go for a, for a little break. Nice beaches there, all that kind of thing. Um, and otherwise, Lord Howe Island is also um, uh, somewhere that I particularly have enjoyed, although that that it is in New South Wales, it's an island um, kind of in between Australia and New Zealand. It's it's not reopening just yet. They, I believe they're still closed. Have Have you been to Lord Howe Island? Uh, no, I haven't, Matt. And um, I did look at doing Lord Howe Island um, oh, about 12 months ago because Qantas had some award seats available. By the way, if anybody's thinking of Lord Howe Island, paying for the ticket is just horrendous. You need to be able to find an award seat. The other thing that can be an issue with Lord Howe Island is the uh, length of the runway and the weather conditions can mean that the, the flights out there are often cancelled. And most accommodation places out there will charge you the first night as a cancellation fee, despite the fact that you you couldn't come because of the, because of the flight being cancelled. Of course, the other thing is if you get out there and then the flights to come back are cancelled, you could end up out in the island for a few extra days. But what are not the cheapest accommodation rates anywhere I've been. So can have it does have its challenges, but uh, Matt, they told me it's a beautiful place. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it is a bit difficult to get to. The flights are expensive, but if you can get a seat you know, using Qantas points, it, it's pretty good value, 8,000 points from Sydney or Port Macquarie, I believe, each way. Um, but, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. There's only 400 people living on the island. It's it's basically a, it's a deserted paradise. It's got such amazing nature, um, you can go snorkeling. It's got you know nice beaches. You can go hiking. It's uh, it's really it's a natural paradise. So once it does reopen, definitely somewhere that I'll be hoping to get back to. But yeah, other than that, I'm also going to be looking at travelling more around New South Wales, at least in the next few months. Um, while while New South Wales is open um, now for leisure travel, and um, you, there are, you know, currently a few flights available. Qantas is going to be putting on more flights from next month. But um, I've uh, I've just done a trip on on the train um, just from Sydney up to Coffs Harbour, and that was that was quite a pleasant trip. It was a bit long, but um, nice scenery and things to look at. And 
I, I know that um, yesterday Qantas and Virgin both introduced new um, new COVID nineteen policies where they're they're no longer really um, using social distancing on the flights. They are trying to separate people around the airports, but on the flights they are no longer guaranteeing blocked middle seats. Now, if you compare that to what they're doing on the on the railways with New South Wales Trainlink, they will not allocate anyone in the seat next to you. But they, they also won't allocate anyone in the, in, in the row in front of you, behind you, or in the seats across the aisle from you. So there's basically only one person in each row in a kind of a staggered configuration. So what that means is if you do want to travel by train, it's actually quite easy to social distancing and, and, and quite safe, I would say. Another, another way, of course, to get around without flying is by, you know, by driving. And James, there are some quite good deals on rental cars at the moment, especially one-way rentals. Yeah, there, there are, Matt. And that's what I, we were going to do to get from Alice, um, sorry, from Adelaide to Alice Springs um, using a company called um, iMover. But there are a number of others, including Broom, 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 Transfer Cars, uh, Rental Car Relocation, uh, rental car relocations, I should say. And basically, for example, for Alice Springs, they don't have rental cars out there in the height of summer because most people don't go there. It's too hot. So at the beginning of the season and the end of the season, they have cars that need to move from Adelaide to, say, Alice Springs. And rather than pay somebody to do it, they offer the car to you at a reasonable price. So our one was $5 a night, allowed six nights to go from Alice, sorry, to Alice, and that seemed like a reasonable deal. Now, I can't actually guarantee, um, guarantee that it's great, and I can't recommend them because it was all cancelled. What I can say is that the South Australian state government closed the border, I think, on the Friday night, and the refund, full refund with no fees, was in my um, account on the Monday morning. And I got an email from them on the Sunday to say that they were processing the refund. So. You can't complain about that when you compare it to some of the airlines. Uh, the only thing I have seen about the companies are that if you turn up to pick up the car and you've got a different credit card than the one you paid for it, then you probably won't get the card. And a lot of rental car companies will do that. So just something to keep in mind. Those of us who tend to burn and churn credit cards, uh, you might, might want to hang on to the one that you booked the car with. Yeah, and it's it's a win-win because I mean the 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 car rental companies obviously have seasonal demand in different places and need to move cars around, so it's one way to do that without without really costing them anything. But also, you know, you can get some great deals, and I've I've had a look. There's deals also available from like Perth to Broome. Um, there's deals all around New Zealand as well. Once travel to New Zealand opens up, I believe you also found one in Canada, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I did. One was from Halifax to Vancouver. It was uh, $10 a night. Uh, you were allowed, I think it was 20 nights to drive across. A six-berth um, camper van or mobile home is probably a better term for that one. But that seemed you know, quite attractive. It was something that you might want to do. Perhaps you could drive one way and get the train back. Something like that might be quite an interesting trip. Yeah, once travel to Canada reopens, of course. Uh, and some of these prices are really cheap. Like I've seen even even deals for $1 a day. And some of the times they even throw in a credit for petrol. So these, these one-way car hire relocation deals can be really something to look out for if you want to travel a little bit more slowly. Now, 
And another thing I wanted to talk to you about, James, is the Qantas Points Club. Now, I, I mentioned the Qantas Points Club in a previous episode, and basically how it works is that there's two levels. There's Points Club and there's Points Club Plus, and to earn um, membership in either of these levels, you need to earn a certain number of Qantas points each year in your membership year, and most of them have to be earned on the ground. So to get points club membership, you need 150,000 Qantas points with at least 130,000 of those earned from non-flying activities. Um, now, it sounds quite a lot, but I mean, with, with one credit card sign-up bonus of 120,000 points, for example, and there are a few that are available at the moment, um, you're already, you know, four-fifths of the way there. And to get Points Club Plus, you need 350,000 points each year with at least 330,000 of those earned on the ground. And once you get those levels, there are various benefits, including like um, upgrades on car rentals. Um, you get, if with Points Club, you get Qantas Lounge invitations. With Points Club Plus, you actually get a complimentary Qantas Club membership, uh, although it's not transferable, so not that useful if you already have gold status or above with Qantas. And there's various other benefits, but the one that really stood out to me was the ability to earn status credits on Qantas marketed classic flight rewards. So when you're redeeming the, the, um, those points that you're earning, um, you can earn status credits if you're using those to book Qantas flights. Um, and you can earn those for any Qantas marketed flights. So that means basically when redeeming, when redeeming points operated by Qantas, and there's a few exceptions, like you can get a Qantas marketed reward flight on Air Carlin to Noumea, also um, Air Tahiti Nui between Auckland, Papiete and Los Angeles, or on a few of the LATAM flights between Australia, New Zealand and South America. But it got, it got uh, James and I thinking about possible status runs. So... The idea being here, what's the most amount of status credits that you can earn for spending the lowest amount of Qantas points on the flights? And the the trick here is a little bit different to what it would be if you're booking a paid flight. Uh, James, do you want to take us through some of the status runs that, that we found? Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, firstly, I'd say that um, I'd tended to go away from Qantas and was saving my points for Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer as we spoke about this about this time last year but when the points club came out and I looked at this I have to admit I've gone back to earning some Qantas points at the time because my wife and I travel mostly on uh, on points bookings and I'm not that far short of lifetime gold so this is an opportunity that I personally intend to make some good use of. So it was interesting to actually have a look at some of these runs. Um, I think, first of all, depends. Everybody's different. There's one thing I've learned from the AFF side is that everybody's different, has different goals, different um, background, what they want to want to see, where they see value. Um, when you first start this game, you think that the way you look at it is the way everybody should be looking at it. But of course, as I say, we're all different. So if you only need a few status credits to get you to the next tier say from gold to platinum or silver to gold. And if you wanted 20 status credits to get that that next level, or in my case, if you were fairly close to lifetime status and you, you needed a few, then picking up a few of these status credits by using your points, you know, it's it can be quite handy. Um, one that we looked at, we, we looked at something like if somebody just needed an extra 20 status credits to get to their next level, 
Perhaps the easiest one we came up with was to go from uh, Melbourne to Canberra to Sydney and then Orange. Now, Qantas have announced they're going to fly to Orange. They've scheduled some flights, but they were supposed to start before now, if I remember correctly. When they actually do start to fly, we're not sure, but assuming it does go ahead, that's not a bad run. Cost you 8,000 points plus $139, and you earn uh, 21 status credits. Because each of those legs being um, under the um, 750 miles would earn seven status credits, so seven, seven, and seven to 21. And it's only 8,000 points because the total of that run is less than 6,000, sorry, not 6,000, it's less than 600 miles, which is in the zone one of, um, of the rewards chart. So that's a way to earn, if you just need a few, a few status credits, that could be quite handy. Obviously, you've got to come back again, but you could do the same in reverse and pick up another 20. Another one we looked at was something in the zone 10 of the um, rewards chart, which is from 9,601 miles up to 15,000 miles, which is 55,200 points in economy or 144,600 in business. And must admit that since Qantas reduced the points required for um, economy rewards last year and increased those for business, I've changed my mind a little. I used to think wait, um, booking a, an economy award was a bit of a waste, but now it's actually not such a bad deal. So one of the ones we, we came up with, with there, um, some of these are, are quite ridiculous actually when you look at the number, but we came up with one that had 11 sectors in it and Denpasar seems to be quite a sweet spot. So assuming you can actually fly to Denpasar and and the, all the borders are open and so on. This run went from Denpasar to Melbourne, then up to Darwin, and then to Perth via Broome. From Perth, we came back via Melbourne to Brisbane, then went to Alice Springs, Ayers Rock, back to Alice Springs, and then finally Sydney to Auckland. Uh, doing that in economy would be one challenge, but if you need the, if you need the status credits, 132 status credits in economy. Now that cost 55,200 points and $600.28 at the current exchange rate. So you would need, of course, to compare that to um, what you could do by booking something using just cash. But if you're going at a time of the year when, you know, school holidays, Christmas, when flights are expensive, that might be all right if you can, you know, if, you, if you're the sort of person who can sit in economy for 11 flights for a couple of days going all, all the way around. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting run, but it would be a little bit challenging, especially because, um, because we're booking this basically as a one-way award flight. Um, you wouldn't be able to break up the trip for more than 24 hours at any point. So you're basically doing all of these 11 flights back to back. So quite a challenge, but I'm sure somebody out there would be up for it. Now, why, why is uh, Denpasar a sweet spot here? You mentioned that Denpasar was a good one. Yeah, because if you look at the, um, the chart for the points club, it gives you um, the list of all the different places, of course. But 22 status credits is for Northeast Asia and Southeast Asia. And Denpasar would be considered part of Southeast Asia and it's the shortest run from Australia and gets the same number of status credits as going up to, say, 
Tokyo or uh, Shanghai or something like that. So the idea being to keep the keep the uh, distance short, which then allows you to get in all those extra sectors within your fifteen thousand miles, and still earn a re- the reasonable number of status credits. And there was another one that we found, which was kind of in between there. I think it cost 31,500 Qantas points and, and still gave quite a good return on status credits. What was that run? Yeah, Matt, that was, um, again, starting in Denpasar. It cost 31,500 points and $270, gave 68 status credits in economy. So that was from Denpasar to Sydney to Brisbane, back to Sydney, then up to Cairns, from Cairns to Townsville, back to Cairns again, and then up to Weeper. Again, of course, you've got to get to Denpasar at the start and come back from Weeper at the end, but that's not a bad um, earning rate. And how would you book one of these? Well, you'd book it online. We tried numerous different combinations. Some of them error out. Some of them we think that um, when you actually go to pay, they might not actually go through. But we were quite surprised in the number of these rather ridiculous back and forth with a lot of backtracking that did price online and appeared to be quite valid to book. So challenge is for one of us to to go and try one. Yeah, obviously using the multi-city booking tool though because these um, sectors with 11 flights are not going to appear, right? If you just search for a one-way flight from Denbasar to Auckland. Yeah, that's correct. And also to get it to work, you have to be clever with where your um, departure and arrival points are. So you don't put, try and put in 11 different flight sectors. So, for example, the one from um, Denpasar to, to Darwin, you on the, that uh, one with 11 flights, to go from Denpasar to... Um, you wouldn't put in Denpasar to Melbourne, you put in Denpasar to Darwin and then choose the flight that comes up with Melbourne as the transit. Or the one that we said was Melbourne to Canberra to Sydney to Orange. If you just put in Melbourne to Orange, that doesn't come up. So you'd put in Melbourne to Canberra and then Canberra to Orange as it has the two search things. So you, you need to jiggle around with that a bit. Quite, quite often a few of the ways you try to search it will, will error out. But then you just mix and match the the intermediate um, stops a bit, and suddenly it'll price one, and you maybe you're in business. Yeah, I will point out um, there is an article on Australian Frequent Flyer about Qantas website error codes, and if you're playing around with the multi-city booking tool and you get an error code, take a note of the number of the code, and I'll, I'll post a link to this article in the episode notes. Just have a look at the article and see why you're getting that error messages, uh, and. If you can work out why you're getting the error message, you can work out obviously how to how to change something in your search so that you no longer get an error message. So that that can also be quite useful. Uh, now the other possible status run, which or type of status run which could be useful, is the One World Classic flight reward. Now, so I know we've talked about the One World Classic flight reward in a previous episode. Basically, you get up to thirty five thousand miles, and you get up to sixteen flight sectors. The key catch, though, being that at least two of the flights have to be on One World Airlines other than Qantas. How would you make the most of a One World Award if you're looking to do a points club status run? Yeah, this this is a very interesting one, and we tried a few different um, options with this, um, some of which were, uh, let's say, less successful than the others. 
But the idea would be to maximise your flights on Qantas because the points club, you only get status credits on Qantas marketed flights. But you do to, do need two airlines other than Qantas. So the idea would be to, to include two other airlines and try to do them on short sectors. Something like perhaps um, Denpasar to um, Kuala Lumpur on Malaysian or Singapore to um, Bangkok which you can use Cathay Pacific. So if you can include them somewhere in the in the award, then that'll tick that box for the for that rule. And the rest of it you want to do on Qantas so that you're maximising the status credit return. So a little bit more challenging, but you just need to be creative and think of places that you might be able to go. I mean, we, we looked at including Perth to London return in one of these. Um, can easily do it with 35,000 miles, perhaps start in Yumea, um, do a, a few laps around Australia on the way, then fly to London, come back, end up in Yumea, and if you can get it to work, you can earn quite a few status credits um, for your uh, classic award, which in economy is only 132,400 points. So... There's a challenge for the rest of you out there. Come up with the best deal. <laughs> All right. Well, interesting stuff. Thank you so much, James, for coming back on the podcast and uh, talking about this with me. It's a pleasure, Matt. Anytime. Did you know that you can get more from your Australian Frequent Flyer membership by upgrading to Silver or Gold membership? For just $50 a year, Silver members see no advertisements on the vast majority of community forum pages. And for only $75 a year, in addition, Gold members can receive discounted travel goods and services valued at over $400 a year, including discounts on Qantas Club, NordVPN, Expert Flyer, and more. Most importantly, by upgrading your Australian Frequent Flyer membership, though, you'll be supporting the website and this podcast. For more information, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash upgrade. Hi, well, this is James speaking again. Um, normally at this point of the podcast, Matt asks people, a few questions so you can get to know them better but he did that with me uh, last year and I was thinking maybe I should ask Matt a few questions so that people can get to know him a little better so welcome to your own podcast Matt. <laughs> Thank you I, I, I don't usually answer my own questions I have to think about this a little bit. <laughs> well hopefully we can put you on the spot a bit. Um, so first of all what's your favourite country to visit of all those that you have visited and I know there's quite a few can you pick out one or maybe we'll let you two or three? It, it is extremely hard because I, I like a lot of different countries for extremely different reasons. Um, I have lived in Germany and loved it very much and I, I always enjoy going back to Germany. It's just a country I, I, I really adore. But as somewhere a little bit different that I love travelling to and would actually highly recommend going for a holiday, uh, Kazakhstan. It's extremely underrated and it's just it's an absolute pleasure to visit. It's... Um, obviously, it's not going to have too many tourists there at the moment because of COVID-19. But even outside of the pandemic, and once this is all over, it's just such an underrated destination. You don't meet a lot of other tourists, um, but there's so much to see. There's natural beauty. The people are really lovely. I enjoy the food. Um, it's just 
and I, I've seen some absolutely incredible sights there. Um, the kind of thing that you would expect to be completely crowded and full of tourists. And it's just not like you have these amazing natural wonders and, and amazing feats of architecture basically all to yourself. So, yeah, Kazakhstan would, I really want to go back there. Okay, so hopefully international borders will open up again soon. Um, and what's your favourite airline? To fly, it's actually Turkish Airlines. Um, I know a lot of my guests have said Qantas or Singapore Airlines, and I enjoy also flying with both of them, especially Singapore Airlines. But I just love with Turkish Airlines, it doesn't matter whether you're flying on a one-hour domestic flight around Turkey or maybe a long-haul flight, or, and it doesn't matter even if you're in economy or business class, you're going to get fed extremely well with delicious Turkish food. Um, and the service I found to be pretty consistent and, uh, and the hard products pretty good too. And not to mention, of course, the Turkish Airlines Lounge in Istanbul, which is, I would say, right up there with the Qantas First Class Lounges. Okay, that's one to keep in mind. Um, and what about their frequent flyer program? If you, if you have a favourite, is it Turkish or somebody else? Uh, no, I don't use Miles and Smiles. Miles and the, so the Turkish Miles and Smiles program does have a Star Alliance status challenge and their award chart is not bad, so it does have a bit of value, but uh, I would really say Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer would be um, probably my favourite program on the earning and burning of points side. So obviously you can earn Chris Flyer miles uh, from various different Australian credit cards through their rewards programs um, and then redeem those for excellent value Star Alliance awards. Um, in terms of status though, um, at the moment I have status with United and Qantas. I, I think that uh, Star Alliance is a very good alliance. I like flying with them when, when, you know, when overseas travel is possible. Um, however, I'm not going to be renewing my United status once it expires um, because of some, some of the changes they've made to that program. Um, for earning status, I'm going to be focusing on Asiana Club going forward. And I, I think we've talked about Asiana Club in a, in a previous episode with, uh, with uh, one of my guests. But Asiana Club makes it so easy to earn Star Alliance status. They have very low requirements for lifetime status. And yeah, it's, it's just it's ridiculously easy to earn. And you get to keep status for up to four years. Um, until you need to renew it because they're their two-year membership term cycle. Okay, and you mentioned Chris Flyer there, Matt. Now, they have a hard expiry on their points, don't they? Yeah, it's three years. So um, don't transfer large amounts of points to Chris Flyer until you're ready to use them, I guess, is the the moral there. But if you're, if you're earning Chris Flyer miles through credit cards, then it's um, you just basically transfer them as you need them. You don't have to worry then about the expiry. Okay. Now, would you have a tip for those who are just starting out on this um, points game? Many, and I, I talk about them obviously each each fortnight in this podcast, so listen to this podcast would be probably a good start. But um, for those who are just uh, you know absolute newbies to the Frequent Flyer points game, if you're not already a, a member of Qantas Frequent Flyer, um, just be aware that you know Qantas does charge a $99.50 joining fee for their frequent flyer program, but nobody pays that. Don't pay that fee. Um, just Google Qantas frequent flyer free join link and there are many, many uh, ways to sign up without paying that fee. So don't, don't fall into that trap like I did all those years ago when I actually paid the joining fee. Well, that's that's a bit, bit of a revelation on that one. <laughs> but I think one of the easiest ones is Woolworths. You can get it 
by joining Woolworths, if I remember correctly, and there's many, many others, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think I think you can even just go to qantas.com.au slash free join or, uh, or just Google it. And all, most of the banks have links as well to, to ways you can join for free. So yeah, don't pay the fee. Okay. And what about for those who are more seasoned in playing this points game? What uh, tips would you have for them? Oh, well, many, but I guess if if, there, if I had to pick one, I would say work backwards when deciding which frequent flyer to f- program to focus on. So a lot of people will just earn Qantas points by default, and then once they uh, decide that they want to use them for something, they get a little bit disillusioned by how many um, points they need or the, the amount of taxes and carrier charges payable, or they find that there's simply no award availability to wherever they want to go. So I would say work out, first of all, first and foremost, how you actually want to use the points, where you want to travel to, then work backwards, work out which is the best frequent flyer program to use for that purpose and and, and how you can earn points in that program rather than the other way. Um, a really good tip, though, I would say is if you're earning points with a credit card, look at earning points with a credit card rewards program, which allows you to transfer your points to multiple different programs rather than just earning you know Qantas points or just velocity points and anyone who has a velocity points earning credit card right now will know the risk in just earning points with one program yeah when you're earning with a credit card rewards program you have so much more flexibility and it's also it's just a bit it's a bit safer um, because you're not um, your points aren't held hostage in one program uh, with an airline that may or may not be around next year yeah that's that's good advice now um, what's the best promotion um, or frequent flyer or airline promotion that you've not only come across but been able to take advantage of oh I, I, there's a few i mean i've taken advantage of a few air affairs like i got a 300 dollars trip on singapore airlines to korea a couple of years ago which was i thought excellent value um i've really enjoyed some of the um promotions with buying miles from american airlines and life miles but i would say really the the one world classic flight reward i mean to be able to fly around the world in business class for uh, at the time I booked, it was 280,000 Qantas points. It's gone up now to 318,000 Qantas points, but still, that's an excellent deal. You get up to 16 flights, up to five stopovers, um, absolutely unbeatable value. And I I mean, I couldn't really afford to spend $15,000 on a round-the-world trip in business class, but to be able to book that with, with Qantas points was absolutely incredible, and I've done a couple of them now, and I hope to do another one once uh, once the pandemic is over. Yeah, that's a good tip, Matt, and I I would do the same. I remember the first one I did around the world with my wife. Just for interest, I decided to check how much would it cost me to pay for one of the flights, which was from Santiago to uh, uh, Sydney. And I think that at the time it was about 6700 US dollars for each of us, and we paid a sum total of $1,000 in taxes for, for that and the other 14-odd flights that were on the same ticket, so... That's a great tip. Um, you mentioned earlier that you uh, had been living in Germany and been to Germany a number of times. Uh, of course, now you're stuck in Australia for a while with the travel restrictions. Uh, what's next? Where are you heading? Well, for the for the next little while, I guess I'm going to be travelling around Australia and New Zealand. At the moment, I'm based in Canberra. Um, I do have a goal to speak six languages by the year 2025 and at the moment I speak three I still want to learn Portuguese Spanish and Russian so probably I'm going to be looking at once once this is all over moving to um, a Portuguese speaking country and probably Portugal but I'm I'm still I'm not I'm not sure yet we'll see yeah we'll see how the next little while pans out 
Okay, well, thanks, Matt, and uh, thanks for coming along to your own podcast and sharing your thoughts with everybody. That's um, been great. Thanks, James. Well, that's it for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, James, and thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss this episode, provide feedback or suggestions about the podcast, or ask me a question for a future episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you take just a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, stay safe.